0: I'm here with um, my friend Matthew Belmonte in the um, in the town center of Sheffield in a a lovely uh, bit of a garden spot here and we're going to talk about well what are we going to talk about well uh
1: you were interested in the intersection between um dialogue and my experience of it and um uh, and and what I do, and yeah. um, so uh, I came into autism dialogue maybe from a, a less common direction than most of the people who uh, have uh, were participating in it at the time. Um, so I've always worn two hats when it comes to autism. Uh, I'm an autism scientist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the whole reason I'm an autism scientist is that I grew up with an autistic brother uh, my brother John has never spoken uh, and um, he has um, his experiences is uh, um, very different from a lot of the people on the autism spectrum whom we hear about precisely because uh, you know, he can't speak for himself um, and and uh, I think ideologically uh in the in this century there's been a a broadening of the term autism a recognition a recognition yeah. that it's 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 more a spectrum than a, a, a black and white category. Um and um as a result I think there's been a lot of people talking past each other and some acrimony where there needn't necessarily be any because a lot of people are actually on the same page if they step back to take a look at their terms and definitions Um, so um, the process of dialogue is an opportunity to explore um, in a in a non-adversarial way uh, what we really mean by the words that we're saying Uh, and to explore really what autism is or what we mean by the term um, and who has it or who is it and who owns it you know, who who gets to talk about it in the first person yeah. and um, I have appreciated the connection uh, with um, you know, people who in at other points of history might not have been considered autistic themselves might have been considered just eccentric or um, you know different people Um, and our joint exploration of uh, the um, the benefits and drawbacks and the scope of the label uh, and 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 traits and individuals maybe just beyond the label
0: that's great Um, because personally um, I know that that being told um, that after having screening that I am on the autistic spectrum with what was known back then as Asperger's um, I've struggled a little bit almost like um, gave me an extra level of of confusion because i never saw myself with a deficit or any or even any particular condition but what i'm moreover what i'm trying to grasp from what you're saying and i wonder if you can enlighten me a bit is the systemic nature of the of the meaning of the word autism this the word autism has been coined and and we're not just evolving it with our own individual meanings are we? Because there is a there I mean we can say it's a social construct but somebody does own it what do you say to that?
1: There's a social sense of who owns it, there's a historical sense of who owns it, I mean if you go back far enough right, uh, the the very term autism, uh, uh, you know, before the mid 20th century, was um, used to describe uh, a characteristic of schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. On so many fronts, um, we've seen that once we what we once considered uh, categories, uh, you know, in um, in the parlance of, um, you know, mid-20th century psychiatry, uh, uh, a disease category and a healthy contrast, um, these come in so many shades across the population. Uh, and we see that not only when we look at individuals' behavior and individuals' cognition, you know, uh, uh, you or I or anyone could behave more autistically uh, on one day than on the next, uh, in maybe more stressful circumstances than in more relaxing circumstances or whatever. Um, We also see that even when we look at, I guess with the prototypically biological angle on autism, when we look at genetics, uh, back at the turn of the century, people were actually seriously saying, okay, well, it's probably about three to five gene variants, and um, once we find those, we'll have it all figured out, and these are the risk genes. Yeah. Um, and people were still in a mindset of, um, you know, things like simple genetic disorders and conditions, uh... uh things like Prader-Willi syndrome or um, Fragile X syndrome or what have you. Um, and they didn't realize that the vast majority of human traits are influenced by so many different gene variants all interacting in combination that it's not just you know Gregor Mendel, smooth or wrinkled peas, right? It's, uh, it's these uncountable uh, shades of variation produced not by three to five gene variants, but by hundreds and even, you know, a thousand.
0: Um, and we're we talking about um, epigenetics as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> um, not only the the uh, the structure of the genes themselves, but also um, the uh, the structure of the chromatin that surrounds them. Um, processes that affect. Uh, how genes are expressed or which genes from which parent are expressed. So, um, you know, I was talking, uh, gosh, this is about, uh, 15 years ago now, I guess. Um, maybe more than that. Uh, uh, I was at a retreat, uh, organized by the, uh, uh, Mind and Life Institute. Mind and Life Institute. Yes, yes. Um, thank you. Um and uh, I was talking with a Buddhist monk and uh, uh, it came to this uh, about the fact that um, it's all of these common genetic variants in interaction with each other that determine how autistic or not a person is maybe how schizotypal or not a person is Um, Yeah, just like you know they determine how white or brown or black a person is even that is not just one gene Um, and uh, so I said so it's really uh, you know you study any complex trait like this you study autism in genetic or molecular terms you're really just holding up a mirror to yourself and studying humanity because you're studying everybody we're all connected yeah. and he smiled
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. and he smiled yeah. yeah Yeah. lovely I mean there's a connection there with Bohm because David Bohm I think Dalai Lama referred to him as his um, science guru or yes. something like that and, that, and that's Obviously, um, our heritage in, in dialogica—it comes from. While well, I was introduced to to Bohm dialogue in the first instance,
1: you know, David Bohm is uh, an interesting case in himself, right? Because there are these individuals who, for one reason or another, are sort of on the edge of society. Uh, And you know, of course, Bohm was uh, excluded. A lot of people laughed at him. Physicists did. Um, uh, Really, not so much for his physics, but for the metaphysics that he made of it. Um, And there are these people who see in different ways and who often, because... They perceive the world in more detail, and construct it more deliberately from those details, yeah. uh, or maybe because they see things a little more deeper uh, and more, with more animacy. Um,
0: Is it to do with patterns? Sorry,
1: patterns. Well, I'm not just talking about yeah. um, not just talking about autistic traits and the autistic spectrum. Yeah. You know, I'm also talking about um, the the schizotypal spectrum. Or, yeah, you know, um, uh, m- name any other complex neuropsychiatric category that people have defined, and you can find a spectrum behind it. Um, and those insights are quite valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like um, whether it's, you know, David Bohm's physics or, um, yeah, um, the mind and life um, exploration of, of neuroscience or um, uh, the sort of phase change that we seem to be on the edge of in terms of um, uh, machine learning and neural computation and, and potentially machine consciousness
0: Transhumanism. Um,
1: yeah I feel like um, we all collectively are sort of sitting on the edge of something Um, And most days, we try not to notice that it's there because we need to get on with our life. We need to go to work. We need to um, do what we want to do. But uh, when you sit back and think about it, um, well, sometimes, Johnny, I sit on a, a park bench like this, like we're doing now, And I look out at all of these people and I imagine, well, I recognize that every one of them has a story. Every one of them has a narrative. Every one of them has things that are important to them that they need to get done now and today and tomorrow and this week. And I realize how they and we all are Part of this fabric that is collectively asleep most of the time, um, but seems to be in this long, long, long process (laughs) of waking up and um, we're all individual people trying to be happy and we do what we need to do, what we feel we need to do to make ourselves happy. And often, it makes us unhappy because we try too hard. (laughs) We strive too hard. But we have so much more in common than we often stop to realize. And I feel that it is these people who see things differently, who see things deeply, um, who have an important part to play in this process of waking up that we as a, as a society and a species are all doing collectively in a sort of Hegelian sense.
0: So yeah, I like the way that you're bringing it back round to dialogue and the fact that if we take a step back, we're more likely to see the commonality of our differences. But also, if that's, if that makes sense. Mm. But also, um, you reminded me of some a, a paper online called the power threat meaning framework by the british psychological society which talks about symptom pool and um, how how we've got these collective stories we, we have to name things and they're generated by the system that's already in place so that's like the collective consciousness there's, there's something really insightful about what you're saying bringing it to the present moment, looking around at people and people all having their own stories and trying hard to fulfill an agenda. Often A- too hard. Often too hard to their own detriment, to our own detriment.
1: But that, of course, doesn't mean that we should all, you know, sit back and not try. Um, I mean, you've got to live in the world. Uh, it's just that sometimes prospectively when you're in the thick of it when I'm in the thick of it we don't know how hard is too hard (laughs) we don't know when to let off on the accelerator I find actually a whole lot of people with autism or on the autistic spectrum or with autistic traits have that problem um and you know if they take a step back um they can see deeply and they can relax into what they've already figured out.
0: Say a bit more about stepping back. Do you mean changing the environment? Because it's not its easier said than done. You. <clears throat> well, you can
1: step back by, by changing the environment. Um, but, um, you know, uh, to quote the cult classic Buckaroo Banzai, right? Uh, wherever you go, there you are.
0: <laughs> oh, that's really weird. That's really weird you say that because... I picked that up from John Kabatzin yeah, and I just used it as a as a subtitle for the new yet uh, undisclosed um, dialogue village that, yeah. we're, that we're that we're working on. And so I look, you, you go, know, there you are,
1: I I keep thinking, oh, uh, you know, I, I well, don't who's really...
0: Bonzo Bookaroo?
1: Oh, wait, <laughs> cult classic film from the nineteen eighties. Science fiction. Should I watch it? it? Ah, yeah, you'd probably be me the okay. it. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, the the Buddhists describe it as uh, the secular life is inherently unsatisfactory. Um, now, you can try to um, change your life by changing your circumstances, uh, and um, it might work for a while. It might give a give you a kind of bump that you need. Uh, But I think there are a lot of people, and I have been one of them, uh, that has spent far too much time running away from where they are and running to new things just because they feel like in a new place things can be different. Um, Of course, you know, you can leave, you can sell all your possessions, you can leave all your physical baggage behind, your mental baggage comes with you.
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean we're sitting in a in a mixed kind of environment we've got you know and I'm conscious of this because the recording levels birds beautiful cars are not a problem but that clanking you know and that's the sound of progress right that's that's getting on my nerves a bit so but we can complain right we can choose what to focus on to a certain degree with, you know and and soon we're going to be move, we're going to be out of this environment anyway but it's is it about having that intention intentionality and having a nudge like you say Can you say a bit more about that cuz
1: the nice thing about dialogue is that you know once you go into that room right it doesn't really matter where you are i mean yeah you could be you could be in Dharamsala you could be in Sheffield you could be in I don't know um, basically anywhere in the world as long as there's not a bomb exploding right outside your window Um, and um, uh, and you can be present in that time with those people uh, with everyone's thoughts and observations Um, and not thinking so much about gosh you know I I wish I were in this different place. I wish I had a different job. I wish I were in different circumstances. Um, I'm anxious about, you know, this thing that I have to get done this week. Um, And um, it is valuable to take the time to connect with people in that way. I mean, look, I think if to get back to, you know, just all the people walking around this park right now and and all of the the stories that they have, um, uh, if you just randomly took a snapshot of the people who are within 50 meters of us right now and you put us all in a dialogue group, uh, I'm sure you would get some amazing Insights, um, not just from individuals, but from the group interaction, uh, from putting those people together, um, is so much better than you know yelling at each other on Facebook or whatever, right?
0: That's a really nice way of, of putting it, and I think that's a really nice place to, to close. Thanks very much for, for chatting.
1: Thank you, Johnny.
0: Take a picture now, if that's all right.